Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. We find that all the HR pieces, payroll, HR, workers' comp, benefits administration, all of it works better under one place, united under one roof. Most of the clients that Zenium has chooses the complete HR plus payroll solution. It's the best way to protect the freedom you need to focus on fulfilling your mission and growing your organization. Zenium simply becomes your HR team by providing everything you need under one roof, HR management, payroll administration, benefits administration. So learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. All right, well, I think it's time to bust the myth about what it means to be a great leader. I think most people think like strong and powerful and egocentric. That is the typical leader. But I think in today's modern workplace, having emotional intelligence is the key component to being a great leader. I have a guest in today's episode named Carolyn Stern. She's the author of the book, The Emotionally Strong Leader. And in this discussion, we're talking about how we need to become friends with our emotions and communicate our feelings clearly. It, it sets the stage for real transformation, not only in yourself as a leader, but in the workplace culture that you're in, especially if everybody has emotional intelligence skills. What I loved about this episode is it got real, it got personal. I got vulnerable at times too. I'm an emotional person. I always have been since I was a kid, which I talk about on this episode. And I've learned to harness that as a leader. I'm okay talking about feelings and I, I encourage others to do it too. So I think you're going to learn a lot from this episode. I have a ton of material recorded and I recorded this with Carolyn recently and I wanted to bump this up to today because I thought the content was so valuable and I think we're going to help a lot of people through this. Hope you enjoy. Make sure to connect with Carolyn on social media. I'm on LinkedIn and and Instagram. Love connecting with listeners there. Enjoy today's episode with Carolyn Stern. Carolyn, it's great to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Really happy to be here. You wrote an amazing book. It's called The Emotionally Strong Leader, an inside-out journey to transformational leadership. So I'm, I'm excited to dive in. But when people hear like that title, emotionally strong, those two words sort of contradict each other in a, in a sense, Like especially if we look at the way leaders have been in, in the past, make the case for why those two words actually belong together. Yeah, so that was actually one of the reasons I wrote the book. I was sick and tired of leaders telling me that showing emotions should be shameful. But really, you can be emotional and strong. They're not mutually exclusive, right? When you think about emotional, what does that mean? It just means you feel things deeply. And why I wrote the book is, um, yes, my feelings ran amok in my life. And I work with a lot of leaders that their emotions ran amok in their careers, but it's really about becoming more intelligent and stronger and bigger than your emotions. So being in the driver's seat of your emotions. And that's really why I wrote the book and what the book is about. It gives you all the strategies on how to be bigger than those emotions. Do you believe that most people are scared to show their emotions or is there like this inherent belief that there's a reason why they don't want to show emotions? Yeah, I think like I said, I think they think it shows weakness, right? That's why I purposely named the book, The Emotionally Strong. I think people think that if I show weakness, I'm weak. But what I find funny 
and we were talking about this off air, was when you see those stoic leaders, those inflappable, you know, I've got it all together, never let them see you sweat kind of leaders. I'm perfect. Yeah. I'm perfect. <laughs> They're not believable. And people follow people who are believable and transparent and honest. And so authenticity goes a long way. And why is it vulnerability is strength in you, but weakness in me? I think that's a really funny paradox, right? And I think we need to start realizing that you can be emotionally strong um, as a leader. And that's just really being not so afraid of your emotions. Your emotions are not the enemy. If we look at people holistically, not just leaders, I mean, we're talking about leaders for the bulk of this conversation, but I mean, this goes with employees too at, at all levels. If we're afraid to share our emotions because of whatever belief that we have, you know, growing up and then now we're entering the workplace, and if we're suppressing emotions on purpose, what are the implications to that? Well, they come out, right? They explode. You know, it's like what killed the Titanic? It wasn't the little piece of ice above the water. It was the the deeper piece of uh, iceberg underneath. Well, in the book, I talk a lot about that inner iceberg. Think about it. What you see, Brandon, are my communications, my behaviors, my actions. Those are the things that people see. That's how you experience me as a person. But what you don't see is my beliefs, my fears, my assumptions, my biases, my emotions, my my stressors, my motivators, all of that's underneath the surface. And so if we are not telling people why we're making the decisions we're making or why we're acting the way we're acting or why we're communicating what we're communicating, they're only getting just the tip of the iceberg. And that's the whole point. You cited a quote from Dale Carnegie, which actually, I, might I add, this was How to Win Friends and Influence People was probably one of the first books I read out of college, like entering the workforce. And I encourage every 22, 23-year-old to read that book. But the quote, which I think illustrates this, this whole conversation really well, is the quote says, when dealing with people, let us remember we're not dealing with creatures of logic. We are de- dealing with creatures of emotion, end quote. Like, how do you think that quote helps leaders understand the power of being an emotionally strong leader because you are leading people and people are not always logical we have emotions impact our decisions they impact our communication they impact our stress level think about it during the pandemic when our stress went up our empathy went down right and so we really need to be mindful that our emotions matter they impact everything how you feel at work affects how you perform at work right? It isn't rocket science, right? If you have positive emotions, that's going to lead to higher performance ratings. That's what the studies show. And if you have negative emotions, it's going to lead to worse performance ratings. It isn't rocket science. And we really need to start being not so afraid. Make friends with our feelings. Our feelings are just that. They come and go. They're transient. They're like clouds. They, they float into our minds and then they go. And they're not always factual, They're not always final. They're fleeting, but they're incredibly personal, Brandon. And then you and I both talked that, you know, we're both emotional people. We we grew up as emotional children. I was taught that emotional expression was the enemy in my family. You know, kids should be seen and not heard. And I was just so tired of thinking that that was a weakness for me. Because what that has created is, you know, I had this helicopter parent that would protect me from from everything because she thought I couldn't handle it. Well, Here's the issue. I can make decisions. I might cry about it occasionally, but that doesn't mean that I'm not thinking clearly. And really what emotional intelligence is, is being intelligent about our emotions. 
And so it's using the mental skills and cognitive strategies to think smarter about why am I feeling what am I feeling? Where did that trigger come from? What can I do about it? But if we don't even pay attention to why we're feeling what we're feeling and where did that come from, we're missing half the equation. I feel this to my core. And as I told you before, I was always emotional as a kid. Like I cried a lot. I I couldn't name my emotions and what I'm feeling. And I think like you kind of look around at whether it's teachers or other other kids or, or your parents, like they didn't show emotions the way like people might do now. And, you know, as an adult, I learned to like use that as, uh, as you say in the book, like a superpower, right? Like I was able to name my emotions, connect with people better because I'm able to talk about my feelings and even be able to recognize how they're feeling. And, and at a human level, I, I was able to connect with people better. Do you have a similar story to that? Like, did you, did you have an aha moment with this? Yes, absolutely. So the thing that I, I want to say is you got to name it to tame it. Right. And so I always ask my clients or my audience, I say to them, you know, what is the causal difference between frustration and anger? And people always get this glazed look on their face like they have no idea. But these are two emotions, frustration and anger. We feel all the time. Yet when I ask people what causes anger or what causes frustration, they go blank. Well, that's important because frustration comes from unmet expectations. Anger stems from injustice or unfairness. And so when you think about, you know, how many of us, me included, Brandon, I'm sure you included as well, how many of us have felt frustrated, but shown it as anger? Well, in the workplace, that's a huge problem. Because if you go stomping down the hallway, and I think that you're angry, and I make the assumption that, oh, stay away from Brandon, he's angry today, I haven't actually asked you the question, which is, how are you feeling And so two of the big questions I ask in the book is, how are you feeling in this moment? And what is that feeling telling you about you? And if you can start to pay attention to, hey, I'm frustrated. And why am I frustrated? Because someone didn't meet my expectations. Well, then what you need to do about that in the workplace is maybe go to that person and tell them what your expectations are and that they failed to to meet them. But if people just assume you're angry, well, that's going to be a different strategy that I might use if I'm working with you on how to solve that anger. So I think it's really just not being so afraid to talk about these feelings. And listen, you don't have to be anyone's emotional therapist. This is the thing that leaders always like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to ask my employees how they're feeling because I don't want to <laughs> find out what's lurking inside, you know, open Pandora's box. Yeah. It's not about you solving their emotional problems. First of all, as a leader, you're not equipped to do that. I know for myself, it's very humbling as a coach. I'm working through my life issues, let alone trying to solve other people's. So all you have to do as a leader is ask questions. Hey, Brandon, how are you feeling today? How can I support you? You'll be able to tell me how I can support you. I really want to stress that although the book's called The Emotionally Strong Leader, it isn't just for leaders leading people. The reason I called it The Emotionally Strong Leader is how are you leading yourself? How are you leading your emotions in the workplace? How is your emotional makeup helping or hurting your leadership? Yeah, so much of this is like self-reflection, right? It's like being able to name how, like, how we're feeling in the moment. Like, is there any tips or tricks for how do we understand our feelings better? Because for most people, like they didn't have, they don't have a toolkit for how to recognize what they're feeling in the moment. Like a lot of us, you know, we go through school and you suppress your emotions and then you get to the workplace and you suppress it even more and, and we just don't have the tools to be able to do it. So what, what kind of like easy tips can you give people to, to recognize what they're feeling? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, in the book, I have uh, an emotions list that uh, literally icons of it looks cartoon like, but I want people to remember it, right? I want people to remember. And that poster right now is above my desk. We actually give out. And if you go online to our website, we actually have a free emotions poster so that everyone can go online to eiexperience.com slash resources and you can download it for free. And it's an emotions poster. So the first thing is you've got to name it. What am I feeling? And then why am I feeling what I'm feeling? So the next thing is what triggered that emotion? So maybe my boss gives me an unrealistic expectation and I'm angry. Okay, that's the trigger. Now you've got to create space and you've got to create an opportunity to pause and make a choice. Now I have two responses I could tell my boss. I could tell my boss, screw you. (laughs) That could be the response. And the impact of that response would be, insubordination, right? I I might lose my job. I might get written up. The high EQ response would be, hey, I might need to tell my boss, hey, I can get you that project done by Friday, but that other project that you asked me to, that's going to have to wait till next week. Are you okay with that? So I could negotiate. Well, the impact of that response could be, well, he might not love my answer, but he'll respect me for setting a boundary. And so what I always get my clients to do is take a sheet of paper and take four columns, emotion, trigger, response, impact. If you can write out, I'm angry, I'm triggered because of realistic expectations. What is the high EQ response and what's the impact and what is the low EQ response and the impact that will give you the power on making a conscious choice on what to do and how to act appropriately. Have you ever heard anybody like in response to that say like, well, you think people are going to like stop and pause and re- and reflect like that? Because we're in like this culture of busyness is cool. I don't know if you're around people that are like that, but um, I see it all the time, like the hustle culture and people aren't stopping and pausing and reflecting like that. And they're not even analyzing what the impact is. So how do you make that part of your day? Like if you're feeling something, like what do you do? I mean, it sounds easier said than done, honestly. Absolutely. And I think that that, that's the issue that organizations are facing, that they'd rather deal with the unproductive behaviors or disrespectful communication than get to the heart of the issue. And so unless you start pausing, And taking that moment, you're going to deal with misunderstandings, miscommunications, and mishaps in the workplace. And until people take that pause, and it sounds simple, but it's not always easy, because I want to stress that I am not, when I call this book The Emotionally Strong Leader, I'm not saying strong arming your feelings or having a steely resolve not to feel. What I'm saying is be smarter, think clearer, be, you know, say, oh, I'm feeling this. This is why I'm feeling this. And what can I do about it? And yes, that pause, you're right. In that hustle culture, who has time for that? You know what you do have time for? You have plenty of time for all the unproductive behaviors that you're dealing with, disrespectful communications. That's what you're going to deal with. That's what's going to waste and suck up your time versus dealing with the heart of the issue. And whenever someone says to me, I don't have time, I love using this quote, which is rather than saying you don't have time, try saying it's not a priority and see how it feels. 1000% agree with you on that. So you said in, in the book that the time is up for ego and power driven leaders. Uh, you illustrated a couple of fictional characters like Gordon Gecko of Wall Street and, and Logan Roy of a, a newer show called Succession. I think People who have seen those, the movie and the show would recognize like these are power hungry, manipulative, greedy people. 
Why are these people, like these types of leaders, no longer effective in this world? Well, one of the reasons why I think our organizations are struggling is because we're not teaching this in schools. And so as a university professor, I've been seeing this for 25 years now. You and I talked offline is that, you know, I'm not, I'm giving students stress as a professor. I'm not teaching them how to manage it. You know, I'm, I'm putting them in teams. I'm not teaching them how to work within those teams. And guess what? Then we're graduating those kids. And then it becomes your problem as a leader on how to give them an emotional education. Well, the problem is you also haven't had an emotional education. So it's the blind leading the blind here. So the time is up that, listen, the Gen Zs, just so you know, are worse at problem solving, worse at stress tolerance, and worse at independence than any generation before them. Why? Because they grew up with these things and helicopter parents. And so unless we start teaching these younger generations how to stand on their own two feet, how to be more resilient, how to be more self-directed, how to use their emotions as data to find solutions to problems, how to weather through the storms, right? You know what happened with the the global pandemic? I was in the news talking in, in December 2020 saying, as much as it's a bad thing, and I'm not discrediting the lost lives, the lost jobs, you know, the isolation that it brought, the silver lining the pandemic brought is it gave these young kids an opportunity to become emotionally resilient. Because guess what? Google and their parents didn't know the answers of how do you live through a pandemic. So these young kids had to figure it out themselves. Well, guess what? The biggest mistake that leaders make is they forget that they are teachers and teachers know the answers to the test, but we don't give the answers to the students or else they ain't learning. Well, as a leader, the worst thing you can do for an employee is tell them what to do because they ain't learning. You have to get them. You have to ask them questions so that they figure out the answers themselves so that they become empowered or else what is happening in the classroom when students take on the lion's share of the work and they don't want to have those assertive conversations. Well, guess what? That ends up plaguing the modern workforce that when you have an employee that doesn't have those assertiveness skills, they are continuing to do the lion's share of the group projects in the company and they are not speaking up at team meetings, et cetera. So we have to teach these kids young because it's conditioned at home. I don't know about you, but I didn't have a superb emotional intelligent role models. I'm assuming you didn't either. It's conditioned in the classroom and then we're sent to the office. And so we have to stop. These stoic leaders no longer work. We're dealing with a more emotional talent pool, right? We need to learn on how to handle and deal and tend to emotions in the workplace. And the first step is stop being so afraid of them. You said you just said um, you're guessing that I didn't have an emotionally intelligent like upbringing like with parents. What I'd say though, and, and this is true of the workplace and any other place, I had a very loving and caring household where it was safe to show up the way I wanted to show up. And so, like even though like that, my parents didn't necessarily bring out like how you feeling and ask the right questions. It was a very loving and safe environment. I think you know just hearing you talk, I'm like feels like there's two pieces to this, like to, to helping grow our, our kids, our, our leaders, whatever, is that you've got to have a psychologically safe environment. One, you got to let people show up how they want to show up. And then two, like what you were just talking about is being able to ask the right questions. If like they don't have the tools to be able to name their feelings and even like have the, the space to be able to name their feelings, like are there questions that you can ask to help bring that out so they can develop their emotional intelligence skills? Maybe respond to that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things I did that the book is based on, so the book has this six-step self-coaching model, but we also teach in one of our classes coaching with emotional intelligence because as an instructor, I could see, yeah, we're graduating these kids on, on leadership, but we're not actually teaching them how to coach people. Well, I don't know about you, Brandon, in your workplace, how many people actually know how to coach? They think they're coaching their employees, but how many people know how to coach? Well, the thing is you have to ask them good coaching questions. Well, what is that? Those are just the inner iceberg conversations that I'm talking about. It's like, what's stressing you out today? What are you afraid of? Talk to me a little bit about what assumptions you're making to make that decision. You've got to get deeper. Remember in math class and your teacher said to you, show your work? <laughs> That's all emotional <laughs> intelligence is, is showing your work. How did you come to the conclusion you did? Or the how come you wrote out that communication the way you did? If you ask people their why, why are you doing what you're doing? It's incredible what will come up from underneath that surface. But we're too afraid to open Pandora's box. We're too afraid to find out what is lurking inside. But I said to you offline is you do not need to be the problem-solving hero. You are not equipped to be an emotional therapist. What you are equipped to do is ask questions to your employees so that they figure out what they need to feel psychologically safe, what they need to feel good and performing well on their jobs. You don't have to have any of the answers. You just have to, as my mother said, have two ears and one mouth and use them accordingly. Let me play a little devil's advocate, if you don't mind. I don't necessarily believe this, by the way. Like I'm just prefacing this, setting you up here. If we're all in tune to our feelings and emotions, we're talking about them, we're naming them, are we going to come off as unstable or dramatic? And is it going to, I don't know, like downstream, could we have a lot more issues by bringing more emotions into the workplace? I think emotions can be incredibly motivational. I'll never forget in my classes when I say to my students, when we, we were face to face and I was standing in front of the lecture hall and they would be on their phones, not paying attention to me. And I would say, hang on a second. Hey class, um, when you're on your phones, I feel disrespected or I feel hurt. All of a sudden, all of them stopped going on their phones because they realized, oh, wow, she has feelings. And, and it actually motivated them to change their action. I'm not saying we need to walk around the office all day. Let me be super clear. Being emotional is unprofessional. Having emotions is not. So if I'm angry and I just say to you, hey, Brandon, that email you sent me, I felt really angry after reading it. I'm not yelling and swearing at you in the office. I'm just letting you know how I feel. If you know your impact, you might next time write a different email, right? It might motivate you to write a different email if you know the wake that you've left behind. The challenge is, and I wrote in the book as well, is our intention. We can have the best of intentions, but how it lands for someone is completely different. And you asked me earlier, was there a moment in my career? Uh, I, I have many moments in my career that I realized, oh, wow, connecting on this emotional level is critical. When I was teaching high school and I had these two literally on the first day of the class, they got into a fist fight. Well, I was in wow. my 20s. Oh yeah, it was, a, it was a boy and a girl and they got into a fist fight. And listen, let me paint the picture. I'm in my 20s. These are 
17 year old kids. And I'm thinking to myself, how are they going to listen to me, let alone learn from me? And so what I ended up doing in that entrepreneurship class is I made both of them, my, my teacher friends thought I was crazy, but I made both of them VPs. One of them, I made the VP of human resources. You'll get a kick out of that. And the other one, I made the VP of production of our little school business. Well, by, because I thought to myself, I wonder if those kids had, they were the most challenging kids in school. I wonder if any one of them ever were given a chance. Did anyone see potential in them beyond just what their negative behaviors were showing? And so by giving them that chance, I got to know them better, right? Because you have to remember, these kids were evaluating students and on their shifts. They were working with our vendors. They had my keys to open, you know, the store in, in the school. And so I gave them a lot of trust. And once I got to know them on a deeper emotional level, something happened. And as I was writing this book, and I kid you not, 20 years later, I tried to find them both on Facebook. I found one of them and I reached out to, to her and I said, you know, I'm curious if, you know, you made such an impact on me because I realized at that moment, you're the reason I wrote the book is I realized when you connect with people on an emotional level, great things can happen. Well, the student told me, I, I call her Cindy in the book. The student said to me, well, not only what, what you didn't know is during that time in, in grade 12, I had just come out of foster care. Wow. I had thought about killing myself. And the fact that you had connected with me and, and even though I tried to push you away, you didn't, you pushed back, you stayed with me. It made me feel connected and appreciated and valued. And by the way, that student ended up, and this, I, I kid you not, she was, uh, from fist fight, she went to the most improved student in the school. She won the award and she became first in class. And so one of the chapters in the book I call from fist fights to first in class because of that. And so if we can start to connect to people on an emotional level and stop just judging their behaviors and start to get deeper, I'm always curious you know, when, especially when someone triggers me, right? So think about someone in the news that you see and, or something, uh, you know, on television that you're looking at. And if it triggers you, or maybe even a family member, right? Think of the holidays, what's coming up for, for people. Avoidance. And, yeah. Avoidance, right? What is it that's <laughs> triggering you? And what information can that provide you about you? And I think the key is, is just connecting on that emotional level to be people. You said yourself uh, offline that it creates more deeper, intimate relationships. And listen, when I get an email from Brandon and I know Brandon on an emotional level, guess what? I'm going to answer that email a lot faster than some stoic leader that I care nothing about and who cares nothing about me. When people feel connected to, appreciated for, and fulfilled in their jobs, it's going to affect how they feel. And how they feel is going to affect how they perform. When you're talking about the classroom, I, I just have like chills because that's such a, a beautiful illustration of like connecting with people and what, what sharing emotions and feelings can do. Like I, uh, as a parent, parenting is hard. It's probably the hardest thing I've ever, ever, ever done. I've got two kids and I can think of times where my kids did something bad, you know, like not crazy bad, but like definitely got under my wife or my skin. And we've, we've yelled and I'm being vulnerable here. We've yelled, we've shouted, nothing, you know, like you fight fire with fire, you get more fire. It's like throwing gasoline on fire. It just makes it worse. Whereas when I, the times where I like actually stop and pause and be like, you know what, you made me really sad. Like that decision made me really sad. I'm disappointed. Like, and you bring out some words and feelings, they connect with that so much better. 
because kids like their emotions are so bottled up and it's like you shake it and they, they're kind of just spewing out everywhere and they just don't know how to you know they're developing like they just don't know how to deal with it and i think so often when we're parents and we're teachers we're not taking the time to connect with them emotionally like you like you just described and i think that makes a huge impact in their development it makes a huge impact. It makes them more committed to changing. And that's yes. what we're trying to do is get them committed. We don't want them to just comply, right? We want them to be committed to changing. So if you say, and it's a simple four-step process, when you did blank, I felt blank. What I'd like you to do in the future is blank. And how it will benefit us is blank blank. If you follow that four step, when you did blank, I felt blank. What I'd like you to do in the future is, and how it will benefit us, that's going to change your conversations onto way more intimate conversations. And you'll get right to the heart of the issue. You could even ask, hey, I'm curious about why you did do what you did. That's a great coaching question as well. I'm curious about why you you said what you said or why you made that decision. Uh, Tell me more. And emotional intelligence is because we're so judgmental as a society. Emotional intelligence is not about judgment. It's about curiosity. Yes, I love that. Okay, so we got to have you back at some point because like there's not there's there's not enough time to be able to ask everything I want to ask you. But let's just end with this. If you had a crystal ball and you say like people are they read your book, they take all this to heart. We make the shift to becoming emotionally strong leaders. What kind of impact do you think this makes long-term on on future leaders? So like I'm now an emotionally strong leader and I show up a certain way and, and my employees, they're right along with me. They develop, they become the future generation of leaders. What kind of impact does that make on those people and, and the workplace overall? What kind of environments do we have long-term? I think we can have more innovation. I think we can have more productivity. I think we can have happier people. I think the ultimately... If we start talking about really what's going on, we can get to the heart of these issues. We're going to have deeper conversations. You and I can be in conflict with each other, but have a healthy level of conflict. Well, guess what? With conflict comes great innovation, right? If I don't fight you on ideas respectfully and professionally, then I'm just going to adhere to whatever you think. So I think we're going to have a way more innovative. We're going to have a way more friendly, right? We wouldn't have so much anger and hate and frustration in the world if we could start talking about what our feelings are, what they mean, and what can we constructively do about it. So in my opinion, in short, we'd have a way happier society. And I don't know about you, the byproduct of emotional intelligence is happiness. And Brandon, I don't know about you, but I'm just trying to be happy in this universe. And so why can't we just all try to be happy? No, it's so much about connection and we're so much more happier when we're connected with other people. And that's what the the pandemic was so tough because we were so isolated and in lack of connection and video calls aren't doing it. That you get so many people, you can't connect with people at a deeper level if you don't see body language. And, and yeah, four of the competencies, four of the emotional intelligence, skills you need for happiness is self-regard. So confidence in yourself, self-actualization, fulfillment in, in what you're doing, enjoyment for your life, interpersonal relationships. Well, if we weren't allowed to talk to people or see people or hug people for the last three years, yeah, that's going to affect. And optimism, if all we're doing is doom scrolling and looking through negative news after negative news, that's going to affect our happiness. So those four skills are critical to our success in terms of our happiness. And we have to focus on that. So I would ask your listeners to think about of those four things, 
What's the one area that I need to work on? Is it my confidence? Is it my self-regard? Is it my interpersonal relationships? Do I need to build better relationships? Do I need to have a more positive attitude and, and, and be more optimistic in life? Or do I need to have more fulfillment and enjoyment in my life? Whatever that is for you, that's what you need to work on. Carolyn, this has been such a great discussion. Thanks for writing such an awesome book, and, and I appreciate the discussion. This is this is really nice. Uh, what do you want to leave people with? Uh, parting thought, point people to website, book, anything like that. Well, I guess my parting thought is what I said at the beginning. You can be emotional and strong. They're not mutually exclusive. I want to turn leadership on its head, as as you said, and really get people to question the fact that emotions are not the enemy. We can make friends with our feelings and the feelings of others and not be so afraid to have these deeper conversations, which will lead to, as we said, better performance, innovation, creativity, et cetera. Where they can find the book is they can go on to my website, carolynstern.com slash book, and they can pick their local retailer, whichever their favorite is, and then purchase it there. It's a great, great holiday gift and a great uh, gift for yourself because it really starts with you, but it stays with them. It's on hardcover, Kindle, audiobook? Not an audiobook yet. Uh, you got you to gotta do it. You've got a great voice. You got to do it yourself. That's my next thing for sure. I will definitely do that, but it's on Kindle and it's hardcover and they can purchase whatever they choose. My guest today has been Carolyn Stern. Carolyn, thanks for being part of the podcast. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.